So this is the Sergey Ross Growth Podcast. I'm here with Ben Wynn, who is a manager of special project at Seamless MD, and he's also founder of CS and Focus Community. Ben, great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Sergey. Well, you started at J. Walter Thompson in advertising, and I want to start there because I think this was one of your first career moves. And what was it like being in advertisement after the university? Uh, it was stressful. It's a stressful job, as anyone in advertising knows. You, uh, I was on the writing side, so copywriting. So I would write a bunch of scripts, taglines, stuff like that, um, have an internal presentation where 90% of it would get thrown out, and then uh, generally the 10% that made it to the client would also get thrown out, and I'd be starting from scratch again the next day. And that's 90% of what being in advertising is like as a copywriter. So very stressful, but definitely educational. So what is like the experience, what was your background when you went to college or university? Um, I actually did uh, music theater for nine years. That was like my my special, my area of focus. Um, and then I went to university not, knowing how, not having any idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I went for a general Bachelor of Arts and then took a marketing course in my first year um, and then really liked it. So I took two more business courses in my second semester, then switched into a Bachelor of Commerce. And that was what I, I did my degree in. Interesting. So what was like, so you did copywriting, why you didn't really continue there? Like what was, didn't you, didn't you feel like the experience was maybe the right thing? And I think because you went, I think in sales to sales later, what was, what was it like in, in advertisement for you or where you felt like maybe that's not the right fit? Um, yeah, I mean, I spent the whole time in advertising, you know, getting my stuff criticized and thrown out. And I was like, you know what, I really want to be on the client side. I want to be the one deciding what's good and what's bad instead of the one producing it. Um, which is just says a lot about my personality, but, uh, it was more in my pursuit of, of that and wanting to be the decision maker instead of, uh, on the producer side, um, that, that fueled kind of my, my next moves from there. Right. And then after that, you go to sales, which is, um, which makes makes a lot of sense uh, after you describe that, and then you go to CS, which is a pretty classic or typical path. What was what was it for uh, for you like in sales, and then moving to CS customer well, success? It's funny that you say that's a, a typical path because when I did that, I mean, which was only I mean three years ago or so, three and a half years ago, it really was not a typical path because I had no right. clue uh, what customer success was. Neither did right. a lot of people, especially in Canada. Um, yeah, in SF definitely more, but um, it was still very nascent here, and so I actually ended up in. Uh, customer success because, uh, well, I got into startups because I went through a fellowship program called Venture for Canada, which recruits, trains, and supports recent graduates who are entering the startup space. Mm -hmm. Um, And they sent me out for a bunch of interviews. And um, I was actually offered both a customer success and a sales position. um, And knowing all I knew was that I didn't want to do sales. I really didn't know much about customer success. So based on that, I said, oh, I really want this customer success position. It's such a great fit. Here's all the reasons why. When in my head, I'm just like, please not sales. <laughs> and so um, that was actually how I ended up in that first CS role, which was ended up being obviously uh, the, the right fit and a great move. Could have easily been the wrong one, but I'm definitely glad that it worked out that way. No, that's pretty cool. I mean, there are certainly similarities in sales and customer success, but there are obviously some differences that like you would prefer right for sure and as we've kind of as the industry has has grown up and uh, you know over the past few years we've started to see a more generally agreed upon divide between sales and cs uh, the easiest, and I apologize to any computer scientists, I've completely <laughs> stolen your acronym. 
Um, but you know, we the the high level version is you know sales conceptualizes the vision for the client and customer success executes that vision. Right. Um, now there's a lot of other angles to it in terms of CS being responsible for customer experience, uh, managing uh, churn, upsells, expansions, uh, all that great stuff, uh, which is very important. But at the end of the day, what I love about it is that it's about nurturing long term relationships, whereas sales is about um, quickly building really strong relationships and then passing them on uh, and kind of letting go. And that's just not my, my personality type. Right. There's a lot of people that are ridiculously amazing at that that I love to work with and companies wouldn't be successful without them. Um, but I like to be on the, on the nurture side and it works. it's very necessary for SaaS companies where you aren't making a profit from your customer you know, for the first year, two years, or sometimes even longer. Right, and also the opportunities to gain, to, to get the revenue they, a lot of them come from CS and upsell and cross-sells, which we will touch on uh, in, in a bit. But you are a founder of CS or Customer Success uh, in Focus community here in Toronto. Talk to me about that. How did that get started? I think you had a few events already and you're planning an event for this year. For sure, yeah. So uh, CS and Focus, uh, again, as with a lot of things in my life, has kind of come out of an accidental situation. Um, when I joined Seamless MD, which is a health tech company, um, I was the the 10th employee there and the first in customer success. So it was my job to build out the customer success playbook, validate it, A-B test, you know, make this really good repeatable strategy for how to expand and grow our customers. And in doing that, I was out in the community a lot, meeting lots of people. And I ended up getting a lot of requests for coffees and for intros and to just, you know, uh, go out and meet with people, um, which was great because I'm a very social person. I love going out to meet with people. Um, But I also started getting really bored. I have a very short attention span Mm -hmm. and I was getting a lot of the same questions over and over again. What is customer success? How do I get into it? How do you do well in it? Um, What are the basics that I need to know? Um, Which gets very, very boring very quickly. Um, So uh, to negate that, I wrote an ebook, The Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. I've seen it. Yeah, uh, so that's available on csandfocus.com. Uh, and it's just called The Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. It's everything you need to know if you're just getting started. And there are some, some great other resources out there as well. Um, but I wanted to write this in, in my words and the way that I view customer success. Um, and my new policy was to then email that out to people uh, that wanted to just pick my brain about customer <laughs> success so that's... that I could have a richer conversation with them. Right. Um, so a mentor of mine... Uh, suggested that I have a bit of an opening night, you know, launch party just to get some eyes on the ebook. And I wasn't charging or anything for it. It was free. Um, but she, you know, suggested that might be a good thing. So I started thinking about how I wanted to do that. And I was like, well, it'd be cool to speak. And then, well, I don't want to be the only speaker. So I'll have a few speakers. And then um, it quickly started ramping up. And this was uh, September of 2018, not too long ago. Right. Um, but it became eight speakers. We had 180 people there. It was at Uberflip. We had 85 different startups represented. Amazing. Um, it was massive. And we did, you know, open bar and catered food. I got sponsorship. Um, I just, once I kind of got that ball rolling, I wanted to keep going with it. And uh, it was a blast. And for me, it had initially been about just the ebook. But then I'm looking around at a room full of customer success people who are natural relationship builders, communicators, um, and it was just the most amazing vibe. It was unlike any event I'd ever been to. Um, and it was something I wanted a lot more of. And I think a lot of other people did too, because I started getting requests from people who wanted to 
uh, be on the CS and Focus team. Not that it was called that, but at the yeah. time. But they wanted to help me with future events. Uh, so I made some official job postings, did some interviews, brought on some amazing volunteers, uh, and because of their support and the time they're putting into this, we've been able to announce Canada's first ever customer success event series. Um, we've already had the first one, which was customer success and sales. Uh, that happened Super. in March. Um, but as we'll talk about later, there's, yeah. there's more upcoming throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, and we're very excited for those. Oh, this is awesome. And I mean, I've seen pictures and I've seen videos from your first event. I'm like, that's a lot of people, which is amazing. And we will link that the the event that upcoming event in the show notes so everybody can check it out see what they think about that and uh, whether they can attend but you've been in customer success at uh, first person in customer success what were some of the things that you found difficult at first to upsell cross sell clients uh, make keep them happy and like the when you started and then how did that evolve at seamless md uh great question so the um biggest struggle i had when i started was that I'm very opinionated. I wanted to do things a very specific way. Uh, and unfortunately for uh, the C-suite of my company, the ways I wanted to do things cost money, uh, which is, uh, as anyone knows, at an early stage bootstrap startup is uh, uh, not the best thing to, uh, <laughs> to, to say. Um, but I pushed them on it and they were receptive and we ended up A-B testing. So I implemented a client my way and someone else did a client the, the let's say, traditional way. Uh, and we agreed on the metrics that we'd be measuring, things like time to value, uh, amount of upsell, all this kind of stuff, customer feedback. And you put it in your account behavior formula deck, I believe. Very possible. Very yeah, because yeah. I think I've seen it before and after, but you'll, you'll talk about that, yeah? Maybe, yeah, yeah, I, def I probably did. Um, we've definitely seen a lot of before and after from the account behavior formula as well. But um, that was the big way to, to get the buy-in that I needed was basically to show with real numbers that, yes, I'm asking for more money up front to go see the client on site, to send them handwritten cards, to send them wine, etc., but uh, but it turned it worked out and it became you know that was how I was able to get the buy-in for the way that I wanted to do things at uh, at Seamless. Uh, what about the I guess some of the like customer success challenges when you were working with a client? What was I guess maybe not working? What was mm. working well in terms of like upsell, cross-sell, or just building relationship lo lo like longer term? Right. So uh, no, great great point. The because uh, I didn't answer that. Yeah. The uh, Upselling, cross-selling can be finicky. It really depends on your product and your industry and your company. I think it's more about figuring out your personal, um, what's the best way to say this, your, your personal inclinations. Uh, I know how I would want to be sold to, and it's to not be sold to. Uh, As most of us, yeah. Exactly. Like I just want to get value. If I get value out of a product and I like the person who I'm working with on it, if they say, hey, you know, is there someone else, something else we can do for you that would provide more value? Is there someone else you know that would get value out of this? Of course I'm going to refer them. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do whatever I can uh, because the product is good. I'm getting my value and I like the person. So that's how I approach upselling and cross-selling and mm -hmm. referral generation and all that kind of stuff, which again is very difficult at an early stage startup where uh, investors and company leaders have this major prerogative to grow the bottom line as big as you can, as fast as you can. Whereas I'm sitting back saying, okay, I need to nurture this relationship over the next nine months to get us to a point where we can ask for a referral or where we can talk with other departments in this company because SeamlessMD is very enterprise. And so, 
yeah, my strategy for upselling and cross-selling is based around authenticity um, and making sure that it's a very legitimate upsell that if I'm suggesting it. Um, I want my customers to view me as an advisor, as a trusted advisor. uh, And that means saying, no, this won't help you as much as I'm saying, yes, this feature will help you, uh, which is a big part of it too. And the last piece I'd mention as well is uh, something that I think a lot of companies don't take advantage of, which is customer success managers, if you're in a B2B or an enterprise setting, you're getting time definitely monthly, hopefully monthly, um, at, the, you know, at, the, at the least. Uh, but for some of you, it'll be biweekly or weekly uh, that you're chatting with customers. Uh, that's an opportunity to, every single interaction with the customer is an opportunity to build on that relationship. Uh, and the best situation you can get to is where your customers actually look forward to those calls with you, where it's different than what they encounter on their day-to-day, especially if your customers are corporate or you know in an environment where they're not you know, where they have very stressful days or they don't get to relax a lot. Um, if you can give them that opportunity on a 30-minute call to just kind of cut loose, have some, some nice small talk, and probably more about more than the, about more than the weather, um, but just to, just to relax, make some jokes, talk a bit about how things are going candidly, uh, where they don't feel like they have a lot of pressure or they need to um, you know, act a very certain way, which they do throughout the rest of their day, that's a huge opportunity. And that's what's going to keep people coming onto your calls and re- responding to your emails and helping you set up on-site meetings and giving you those referrals. Um, so really take full advantage of every interaction you can with the customer. And that brings up the important point. I went to um, Enterprise Sales Forum Meetup a couple of weeks ago, and one of the takeaways was, and this was just for people in sales, which would be applicable to CS as well, is whenever you have an interaction with a potential client or with an existing client in your case, you want to um, help them learn something new. Every time they talk, um, which goes beyond the weather, they learn something new. So you're an advisor. They are looking forward to that call. It's more, it's almost like a coaching call. It's something mm-hmm. that they are able to take advantage of, like, oh, this is, this is the better way to doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, a company was asking me last week. They were saying, you know, we people just don't want to show up to our calls. Like we feel like we're how do how do we figure out the right amount to contact our customers? Um, you know, we don't want to be overbearing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, if a customer doesn't want to join your call or they don't think that there's a point in talking to you every month, that's not a customer, you know being too busy problem that's a not that's a problem with them not getting enough value out of your conversation with them every single you shouldn't have a, a pointless conversation and there are weeks where i've written to customers and you know if i have a weekly call set up and i've said hey i don't really have anything new for you this week um you know as much as i'd love to chat and sure. say hi um do you have anything on your end if not let's just cancel this week and go to next week and that sends the message that i'm not going to waste their time for the sake of being on exactly. a call with them yeah i only want to provide value and that should be the approach that's taken. Um, you can do that with most B2B and most enterprise clients. And I think it's hard for companies that are at scale where maybe you have mandatory calls where they want you to be calling your customer sure. every week regardless of what you think or the customer thinks. Um, and so, you know, where you can, push back. But the other plan B is just to do extra work to find value for that customer on every single call. But it also pays off, you know, building those relationships, being very transparent, saying, hey, this is, look, we are we don't want to waste your time. We will talk the next time and have that flexibility is awesome. Now, I wanted to speak a little bit about account behavior formula, um, account behavior formula that you developed and I've seen your deck. Um, and maybe you could walk, walk us through how does that work? What are some of the criteria that you are tracking? 
and what are some of the benefits of that versus the traditional way that companies measure the success of a client in, a customer, in customer success. Awesome, yeah. So the uh, account behavior formula uh, is something I made just because I was getting frustrated, essentially, um, with a lot of things. But the, uh, the thought is that, you know, companies try to define the success of their customer through their own lens. They always think about it as, you know, what do we think is a successful customer? Um, very little thought is given to what does the customer deem success for themselves? Because um, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. You can think you're tracking all the most important metrics, whether, you, whether you're using Gainsight or Tatango or uh, some other data software, you've made your own. You can track number of logins, number of calls they've done. Even maybe you can plug into their sales and see how much you know sales they've made through your software. Um, you can do a lot of that, and you can weight it all differently and have some fancy health score. And I've seen health scores that have everywhere from eight to a hundred different metrics that are being plugged in, different data points to spit out you know a green, yellow, or red. Right. Um, and at that point, it's just it's so useless because even if your score is, let's say, it's accurate, um, okay, a customer's in yellow, but you've got now 50 different factors. Um, maybe some of them are, you know, you, some of them are actionable, some of them are not. There's no clear, like, okay, let's fix this, and that will get them to green. Um, you really, the whole idea behind the account behavior formula is that it's a very simple and clean way to determine... Uh, to predict the behavior of an account, which is so much more important than knowing the health. If a customer is a 60 versus a 40, what does that really tell you? Yeah, one's slightly healthier than the other, but that doesn't give you an, any idea of um, what they're actually going to do and how you can change it. So uh, for the account behavior formula, it basically looks at... Um, four different quadrants. Mm -hmm. uh, you have customers that are getting, uh, and it, sorry, and it looks at the strength of a relationship, um, uh, plus or minus, or sorry, uh, looks at the strength of a relationship and the value that the customer is deriving from your software. Right. So the idea behind it is that a customer that is getting high value out of your software and you have a great relationship with them. Now the score goes into more depth on how to score a relationship. Uh, a lot more. I've seen it. Yeah. We, will, we will give it just high level. High level, uh, quality of relationship. Now this is based on um, a great book called The Like Switch, which I definitely recommend. Um, but it basically says that uh, a relationship can be broken out into four factors. Uh, duration, proximity, uh, intensity. So proximity is how physically close you are. Duration, how much time you spend with someone. Intensity is the depth of uh, your conversation. And frequency is how often you see them, um, how regularly. And so if you kind of score those different points with your customers, um, either on a person-to-person -person basis or if you're a B2C company, um, you know, then the relationship isn't with a customer success manager. It's with your app or it's with your right. product. Right. Um, so that's kind of the components of the quality of relationship score. And then the value uh, that the customer is getting uh, out of your software should be something that you've agreed to with the customer. Uh, so as a customer success manager, you should know what your customers want to achieve um, and be able to say, yes, they've achieved it or they've partially achieved it or they haven't at all. Uh, and then basically the, the thought process is a customer that's getting high value and you have a high quality relationship score mm -hmm. They're going to renew. They're going to expand all those wonderful things. Obviously, the opposite is true. If they're getting low value and they have a low relationship score with right. you, they're going to churn. They're going to go away. Um, now, the tricky part is if they have a high um, quality relationship score but a low value, that's critical because you're going to get a chance to save the account. Mm -hmm. um, 
if they don't like you, they're just going to turn and not tell you. If they really like you, you've got a great relationship with them, um, but they're just not getting the value they want, they'll tell you as soon as they realize that. They'll tell you they're concerned. They're going to work with you to try and implement solutions. They want this to work because you have a great relationship, which is where customer success comes in, which is why it's worth investing in because it's going to save you a ton of customers. And the opposite uh, case, which is where you've got a weak relationship but a lot of value, um, that means that they're getting a ton of your product but they don't like you, so they're just going to go to a competitor because they don't want to work with you but they know that they need what you have. Uh, So they'll do their work, find a competitor, and leave. So the whole model is based on being able to predict which of those outcomes each of your customers is going to get. Um, And there are ways to automate it and build it out and and do all that kind of stuff depending on the setup of your company. But it's the whole purpose of it, you know, whether companies implemented it or not, when I presented it, was to get companies thinking a lot more about um, success from the customer's perspective instead of their own, you know, what they deem successful versus what the customer deems successful. Uh, And to really value the investing in the relationships with their customers. Mm Uh, Your customers should enjoy working with you. They should be really excited to chat with you. They should want to... Upselling shouldn't be work. It should be a natural progression of your relationship. Um, You know, you get the keys to the apartment and then you're, you know, you get a drawer and then you're staying there every time and then you're on the co-signing a lease. Like it's that kind of same progression, but in a product setting. So what is your perspective on data versus conversations versus just um, relationship and because like there's all this obsession with companies where they track a lot of data and they have these dashboards and they try to run the predict predictive scores uh, and in your case that will be customer success but I've also heard this phrase on Seeking Wisdom podcast from David Cancel uh, CEO Drift where he says well if you look just at the data it's almost like driving your car with just a rear view mirror where it's like hard to predict what's going to happen and that's one of the one of the drawbacks versus when you just have a conversation with a customer you can tell quite a lot from Mm -hmm. whatever they say what is what is your balance or how do you feel about that um yeah no it's a great question i mean as someone who has worked you know their whole career almost their whole career at early stage startups um you know we haven't been able to get the most robust data software and customized you know software to for our purposes um I love data. Data is valuable. Data is absolutely necessary. Absolutely. Um, would never dispute that, but um, it can never replace a human relationship. And what I find happens a lot of times is because of the amount of data and the reliance on it that these big companies have, they dehumanize their customers. They look at them as just a number, just an account. Um, And none of us want to be treated that way. Uh, And you might think, you know, we've got great customer service. We've got great this and great that. Um, But Ultimately, these are people that are using your product on the other end. They're people who have their own families, their own career goals, their own daily life where they have good days and they have bad days. And, um, you know, and to reduce their experience to uh, some specific metrics that you've decided to pull into your software uh, is ignorant because you're missing out on the entire human factor uh, of that relationship. And business is a relationship. Uh, you know, you're producing something that someone else is getting value out of and using. So, you know, data can augment uh, the human interactions. It can inform the direction with which you steer a conversation. Uh, If I see that, you know, certain um, data points are concerning, then by all means, I will steer a conversation that way and I'll poke and I'll prod and I'll figure out why that is. Um, But I'll do that in a very human way. And I'm also going to not start off the conversation like that. It'll be, again, much more about the human side and the emotional side because that's what gets you, um, that's what moves the relationship forward. That's what, uh, you know, keeps people showing up and engaged. No, absolutely. 
So who do you like look up to to learn and grow and just be better? Because we all we want to grow, and this is one of the um, reasons of this podcast is to help people grow in personal life and, and business life. What are some of the people that you follow and, and why? Um, good question. So I don't follow a lot of big personalities or people that are out in the in the tech space. And the main reason for that is just because I don't... Um, Anyone that I don't know personally, I can't look up to. Anyone that you know through a social media platform, a, po a content platform, anything like that, you're only seeing one side of them, and you're seeing the best side of them, the side that they've edited, the side that they have scripted, the side that they have decided to show. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in, um, in that because... Basically, you have someone posting on a regular basis. You know, maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once a day. Um, but basically, your brain is going to fill in the gaps between those and just kind of paint this picture of who they are and what their life is. But all of that is based on uh, what they want you to see and what they want you to hear. And I have a hard time looking up to people that I don't have an entire view of. Um, so one of the key people I would say that I that I has been you know instrumental in getting me to where I am uh, is a. Uh, Uh, local to Toronto, uh, sure. C CEO and uh, company leader, Erin Burry. She ran 88 Creative, uh, which is a phenomenal PR agency for a long time. Um, she started some side hustles, and then now with her husband, actually, she's become the CEO of their company, Willful, which is uh, a phenomenal company that lets you get a will, and I forget if it's five minutes or something like that for 50 bucks, and it's they're just trying to change you know, the conversation around death, and, and mm -hmm. it's very, really imp uh, very important work and very cool work that they're doing. She's been a mentor of mine uh, for, for about three years now, and... It's just she's added so much uh, perspective and, uh, you know, authenticity to the way that I approach things. And because that's her approach and she's done very well by it. And, you know, her rules are simple. You know, when she goes out and does talk speaking engagements on, you know, a weekly or sometimes, sometimes five times a week uh, basis. And her rules are things like, you know, I want the audience to laugh at least once. You know, she doesn't care about promoting herself. She doesn't care about promoting whatever thing she's working on. It's about the audience having a great time because she knows that at the, in the, at the end of the day, that's what's going to be the best experience. Um, and that's her approach to everything. And I, I've, I've always valued um, what she's put out there and her attitude and her dedication to supporting young entrepreneurs. You know, I'm not the only person she mentors. She's got a very busy schedule, and yet she's been able to commit to a lot of this stuff. Uh, so huge, huge shout out and thank you to Aaron. Um, and the other person I would say is, is my partner. Um, he's an artist, uh, and which is completely opposite from me. Uh, but he approaches things very differently um, from everyone I know in the tech space because he's an artist and he's focused on a whole bunch of stuff that, that I have no idea about. But at the core of everything he does, it's about this idea that it has to be perfect. You have to achieve the vision that you conceptualized. Uh, and it, for un, it, you know, frustratingly sometimes, if his vision isn't achieved, uh, then he th throws it all away and the world doesn't get to see it. Uh, yeah, very perfectionist. Very perfectionist, but I love that and I look up to that because there's a lot of people that don't care as much about quality, that won't put in the time and the effort to get to that level or to achieve their vision in the way they want to achieve it. Uh, and as you and I have talked about, 
um, you know, there's only insanely great or there's shit. Yeah, uh, this is exactly, we had a conversation with you uh, just before we started and uh, it was Steve Jobs and uh, I, I personally, I love Steve Jobs as well and especially how he was very, he didn't have the middle ground and uh, I think it was, um, you know, when he when he described whatever, anything, he said, oh, this is shit and he that was probably most of the time mm-hmm. and then a few times when he was developing a Mac or they had some really cool products in the pipeline or he was just meeting somebody then he would say, oh, this is, we want to make this insanely great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was no like, oh, we just need to make it good. It was always like shit or insanely great. Yeah. And that's, that's the world I want to live in where stuff is either non-existent or it's, or it's perfect. And um, I think a lot of people kind of discount that because you have to put in so much work. You know, there's the, the law of diminishing returns, right? It's, yeah. You can get something pretty easily to, to 80%, um, but are you willing to put in that extra 20%? Um, and, uh, you know, will people in where it's not about, you know, people recognizing it because you can you can start a, a, you know, a company and there's a, ideas are a dime a dozen. You can go and do, start a company tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it's execution that matters. And it's not just the fact that you're executing. It's how well you execute uh, the time and the energy and the effort you put into that execution. That's that's really critical and takes those companies from just existing to dominating their market. Right. And it's also when, you know, some people are perfectionists and I think I'm one of those and those are most, most of the people like 90, 99% of people. And then there's this 1% of people who are more momentum makers who are starting companies who are building things, but they only, they move faster and they can only get things up to 80% done. But because of a really good teamwork, they Mm -hmm. really care of somebody else picking things up and putting them to that 100% to make sure that execution is really, really high quality. Oh, absolutely. And and I mean, I do that at work and I do that with CS and Focus. You know, I will, let's say I'm drafting a a really important presentation to, um, you know, 100 key potential customers or something like that. Um, I can build the deck and I'll make it as good as I can and I'll get it 80% there. Then I'll send it to my CEO and he'll do that extra 20% because he knows how to finesse it and get it to perfect, to insanely great. Um, And then with CS and Focus, it's kind of the opposite. I can delegate 80% of a project to my team and they're amazing and they will get it to 80% or above. And, yeah. uh, and then when they won't are ready for it to be finessed or stuff like that, they'll pass it along to me and I can put that kind of finishing touch on it. Um, so that it has, you know, right. the, so that it's where I want it to be at. Uh, and I think that's an important part of, of building anything because it's exhausting to do a hundred percent yourself. Yes. Uh, at any point in your life, you'll invariably have to do that yeah. and be willing to, but I, the ideal situation is to be able to mix up the work a little bit. Totally. Ben, a few words on the upcoming event, which is, I believe, is in this summer in Toronto. It's uh, June 6th. So the whole point of the of CS and Focus this year, in 2019, um, is, is to get out of uh, preaching to the choir. There have been a lot of customer success events where it's, you know, me telling other CS people how important CS is. And it's just like, what's the, what's the point? Um, <laughs> we're doing no one any favors. So we did this event series that it's all about the intersection of customer success with different departments, CS and sales, CS and marketing, CS operations, CS and product, which is a huge one. Um, with the point of bringing other people into the fold and teaching CS people how to get buy-in from their leadership, buy-in from other departments, um, turn blockers into advocates. Right now, sales can see CS as uh, a blocker or an issue because uh, if someone churns and it hurts their commission or if CS is saying, oh, you can't tell them that or sell them that because we don't have it yet, um, it frustrates the sales team. Uh, but there's all these areas that CS can add a ton of value to sales that... Um, that they haven't realized before in terms of passing on warm intros and testimonials and case study generation and all that great stuff. 
so each of our uh, um, events this year is focused on on the, the intersection of those different departments with CS. The next one is June 6th, uh, and it's CS and marketing. Uh, so, nice. so yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Like We've it. got an afternoon workshop, which will be focused entirely on the growth flywheel, which is, um, which was developed by HubSpot. It's their methodology of attracting, engaging, and delighting their customers with the purpose of making your customers your, your primary growth channel. Uh, so that, uh, workshop will be in the afternoon, uh, at Lupio, which is fantastic. Uh, beautiful nice. office. Yeah. Actually being really cool. Yeah. They've got a basketball hoop. Uh, it's very fun. I like it. And then uh, the evening uh, takes place at Uberflip. Again, amazing office. Uh, really grateful for their support. Where we'll have uh, a ton of amazing speakers. We always do an open bar. We always have great food. Um, and there's time to network and meet with you know 150 to 180 different CS professionals and uh, in this case marketing professionals as well. And then we do lightning talks, which uh, you know I really get frustrated when I go to an event and the speaker speaks for you know an hour and 40 minutes of that it feels like is about themselves and then 20 minutes is maybe some useful stuff classic um, so you know we give our speakers 10 minutes and we say you have to give the audience tactical takeaways in 10 minutes and it's very hard to do but it means we get these great talks like three ways to create a customer centric culture tomorrow five things to look for when hiring your next customer success manager things like that that are really uh, tactical that people can implement the next day uh, cut out all the bullshit you know make it really valuable so we do lightning talks and then uh, this one we're going to have a uh, town hall format uh, with Perry Monaco who's the delightful and brilliant head of customer success at LinkedIn as well as Rory Hockman who's the uh, VP of customer success at um, Uberflip and is an expert on all things marketing Perry is actually also speaking soon on uh, marketing at Pulse the Pulse conference in nice. SF so we'll have a bit of an open forum with them for the audience to ask questions, have discussions. We'll have our moderator on stage ask a few, but it'll be a blast. Then we'll have a bit more time for networking, and we can all go our separate That's ways. That's exciting, and we will link uh, it in show notes so everybody can check check it out, the event. If you guys are in marketing or CS, you got to look into it and sign up. It's going to be awesome, as Ben just uh, mentioned. Ben, last question, where is everybody can find you online? everyone can find me online um, you can add me on LinkedIn uh, you can also email me at uh, ben at csandfocus.com uh, but check out our site csandfocus.com uh, we've got a lot of great content resources uh, information and uh, would love to connect with you so feel free to shoot me a message either via email or on LinkedIn anytime amazing and if you guys like the episode of this Sergey Ross Growth Podcast leave a six star review this is a six star review uh, this is a six star only podcast on iTunes on Stitcher on Google um, on Google Play wherever you are we would love to hear from you and I will see you in the next one